Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI once said, hope is practiced through the virtue of patience, which continues to do good in the face of apparent failure, and through the virtue of humility, which accepts God's mystery and trusts him even in times of darkness. Welcome to the 97th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth, one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want all of us to remember that even in times of darkness, times where we can't even bring ourselves to pray, there is hope, always. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. We're going to start with some more exciting news about the 988 mental health crisis line, this time in my home state of California. The patch gets us started after a push from advocates. California officials agreed to help fund a 988 network, a robust statewide call center for mental health. After weeks in which funding to make the hotline work in California seemed uncertain, the State Department of Healthcare Services announced late today that it would spend $20 million to help support the 988 network, billed as a robust statewide call center designed to be an alternative to 911 calls. The money is a first step toward creating an easier system to access for mental health care, but it's just a first step, Sacramento Mayor Daryl Steinberg said in a statement. The Steinberg Institute he founded had advocated for even more money. We're going to continue to fight for sustained funding for a mental health crisis response system that includes mobile crisis teams and appropriate follow-up care. Our jails and emergency rooms can no longer be our primary treatment for people in crisis. Governor Gavin Newsom issued a statement declaring that the money would help ensure call centers have capacity and are equipped to help all callers so we can meet Californians where they are and expand resources and support during these difficult times. Back to me. So we've talked about the mental health crisis line getting up in other states and even across the country, and I just want to underscore what a powerful blessing this will be. To be able to have an easy-to-remember number to reach out to when someone we care about, or or maybe it's us, or find ourselves in a mental health crisis and in need of immediate services, it's going to save so many lives, reduce suffering from those experiencing mental, for those experiencing mental health symptoms and their families, and hopefully reduce the number of police interactions for those of us suffering a mental health crisis. Once this is in place, we can shift the focus to advocating for a system of care that can help individuals once they've moved out of a crisis situation and are in need of easy access to effective outpatient care because God knows how badly we need to build up those services. And don't forget about the crisis text line available whenever you need it by texting HOME to 741-741. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm going to introduce you to St. Joseph Calisans. Born in 1557 in present-day Spain, Joseph was the youngest of eight children and the second son of a minor nobleman and town mayor. According to Wikipedia, his parents gave him a good education at home, and in 1569, he was sent for classical studies to the college in Estadia, run by the friars of the Trinitarian Order. While there at the age of 14, he determined that he wanted to become a priest. This calling, however, was met with no support from his parents. 
back to me. When he went on to get his doctorate in law after Joseph's mother and brother died, his father wanted him to get married and carry on the family. In 1582, however, Joseph became so sick, almost to the point of death, and this was what led his father to finally give in and let him become a priest. And he was ordained in 1583. He would eventually move to Rome and live out his days in the heart of the church. And I think he's a great example of someone who experienced some difficulties, but it was precisely those difficulties that led him to fulfill the life God had set out before him. And that gives me hope in the darkness, and I hope it does for you too. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer, and this is a prayer for students. St. Joseph Calisans, protector of youth, great servant of our Lord, who did work such marvels on their behalf. You who, having made yourself a mirror of them, for them, of burning charity, of unwearied patience, of deep humility, of angelic purity, and of every other heroic virtue, by a holy example, by words full of the Spirit of God, did inspire them to flee dangerous occasions, to hate sin, to detest vicious courses and to love piety and devotion, and thus did guide countless souls to heaven. Obtain for us, your humble and devoted servants, help in time of danger, protection from all harmful disease, and a fruitful school year, so that by placing our trust in God, we may one day be united with you in heaven. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Anonymous gets us started. I have a friend that went away to college. They ended up getting super stressed about the semester, thinking that they're going to fail and that other people will see them as a disappointment. And that leads to self-harm thoughts because they believe they have to be perfect in everything they do in their life for their life to mean something. So instead, they overwork themselves, losing sleep just to make sure they get perfect grades. What would you suggest to help them overcome these thoughts? Well, let's start by joining together in prayer for Anonymous's friend and all of us living with this feeling that we have to be perfect in order to have value for peace and comfort to stream into our hearts. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. First off, I want to say how awesome it is that you care this much about your friend and want to be a good support to them. It's really wonderful to see. We all have some experience with thinking we have to be perfect, but when it gets to the point of interfering with our ability to function, overworking ourselves, losing sleep, stressing out to the point of not being able to focus and do our best work, engaging in self-harm, it can really be a difficulty. I think your friend reaching out for counseling at college would be a great step toward working on this. But in the meantime, here are some other ideas for how one can approach being overwhelmed with these kind of thoughts and start to move in a direction of wellness. It comes to us from beyondocd.org. Test your perfectionistic predictions. For example, if you assume that a typo in an email to your boss might lead to ridicule or judgment, identify a time frame when this judgment would likely come up, for example, by your next staff meeting, and then deliberately make an error in your next email. Did the prediction come true? If it did, were you able to cope with the situation? Next, put perfection into perspective. While you may find yourself thinking that everything must be perfect, this is not the case. Try to think of areas where you are actually quite comfortable with imperfection. Once you come up with a few ideas, ask yourself what makes these things different? Is it possible that a similar level of imperfection would be okay in the problem areas of your life? 
Next, define perfect. Have you stopped to think what perfect means to you? If perfect is even a possibility, very often recognizing that perfect is an exceptionally hard concept to pin down can help us understand why it's such a challenge to strive for it. Try a different point of view. What would you say to a friend who was exasperately aiming for perfect as you are? Would you think less of your friend if he or she did something imperfectly? What about your children? Not surprisingly, we often hold remarkably more rigid standards for ourselves than for others. And recognizing this tendency and putting ourselves in another person's shoes can be a very useful way to counter perfectionistic thinking. And last, do some investigating. Sometimes we might be unsure whether our standards are too perfectionistic. Do most people use spell check on every email they send? Do other people need to make sure that the house is spotless before they leave for the day? Think of a few people whose judgment you trust and ask whether these standards are the same for them as they are for you. So back to me, as with all treatments for intrusive thoughts and compulsive behaviors, the best way to work on perfectionism is to really allow yourself to be imperfect, allow the anxiety to come, and sit with it until it slowly goes away, thus helping retrain our brain to realize that all those bad things our thoughts told us would happen due to imperfection aren't actually going to happen and everything is going to be okay. It's painful, really painful, because, you know, we're walking into the thing that we're the most afraid of, knowing that it's going to make us feel bad. But after years of trying to reassure ourselves to quiet these thoughts and seeing that reassurance doesn't help, this exposure to the anxiety and preventing ourselves from responding more clearly can be seen as scary, but an effective path forward. As a friend, remember that you can help by encouraging your friend to get involved in treatment, giving a non-judgmental listening ear, and if they're open to the ideas of the coping skills above, you can help out by not providing reassurance, but rather encouraging them to utilize the skills they start learning as long as they're open to that help. And I hope that helps you. A different anonymous is up next. I'm generally well content with my life, but I struggle a lot with spiritual despair, constantly doubting that God is knowable, feeling certain that most people throughout human history are going to hell and that God doesn't love us. My question is, can depression or anxiety manifest in specific ways like this, even though a person is generally content? Would a non-Catholic therapist even know what to do with this, or would a Catholic therapist just refer me to a priest? Let's start by praying together for Anonymous and everyone living with these difficult thoughts in spite of being generally happy and okay for peace, guidance, and comfort. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. To answer your question right off the bat, yes, depression and anxiety can manifest in specific ways even though a person is generally content. In fact, many of us who experience depression and anxiety sometimes ask ourselves, why am I feeling this way? My life is good. Everything is taken care of. Why would my brain do this? And the answer is precisely that our mental health doesn't always depend on our circumstances. So even when things are going well, we can experience depression, we can experience anxiety, and we can experience intrusive thoughts. And that's what your experience seems to be, intrusive thoughts that jump into your mind in an otherwise content and peaceful experience. According to IESO Health, intrusive thoughts are unwanted thoughts that can pop into our head without warning at any time. They're often repetitive with the same kind of thought 
cropping up again and again, and they can be disturbing or even distressing. So back to me, intrusive thoughts typically aren't in line with our normal life, our personality, our way of being, and that's exactly why it's so distressing to all of us. But how can we battle these thoughts? Well, we'll look at healthyplace.com for some ideas. Acknowledge your thoughts without judgment. Acknowledging your negative thoughts can be difficult if they upset you. However, the only way to combat intrusive thoughts is to acknowledge their existence. It is important not to judge them because you'll feel more critical about yourself or your situation. Next, be aware of thought distortions. A cognitive distortion is an example of when your brain lies to you. For instance, you might think someone is laughing at you when they're actually laughing at something that someone else did. You might worry that you failed a test when you actually did quite well on it. You might assume that if bad things tend to happen to you, nothing good will ever happen. When you become aware of your thought distortions, you will have fewer intrusive thoughts. Better yet, you'll have more positive thoughts. Next, challenge your intrusive thoughts. Another way to reduce your intrusive thoughts is to find evidence that contradicts them. For instance, if you constantly think you're a bad person, remember the times when you did something kind for somebody else. When you think no one likes you, remember who your true friends are and what they've said about you. It can be really hard to challenge intrusive thoughts during high-stress situations, so spend some of your free time writing down your intrusive thoughts and the evidence against them. Use an affirmative or uh, an I'm sorry, an affirmation or mantra when you have an intrusive thought. Affirmations and positive mantras are wonderful ways to distract yourself from intrusive thoughts. If you're religious, think about your favorite piece of scripture or prayer. Remember that having intrusive thoughts does not mean there's something wrong with you. Your thoughts might have been triggered by something in your environment or a toxic situation. If you've not identified your trigger, a mental health, mental health professional can help you and provide coping strategies that will work for you. Back to me. I think any therapist would be able to help out with this kind of situation. Regardless of the content of the intrusive thought, the coping skills will work. And hopefully, it wouldn't take more than a few sessions to start to learn these skills and work on them yourself. Sometimes we have to try a couple of different approaches when we're looking for coping mechanisms that'll work with our brain and our personality. So hang in there and know that we'll be praying for you. A third anonymous wraps us up. How do you find healing for mental health pain in the church when the church or some of those who claim to work for the church are the very ones who brought you that pain? And the context here is that my mental illness has been brought about by traumatic events at the hands of priests and lay people in leadership roles in the church. Let's start by joining together in prayer for Anonymous and everyone who has experienced trauma at the hands of our church for peace and comfort, for justice and structural change. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. First of all, I would just like to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that the church was a place of trauma for you in your life. It's such an egregious thing, and I will 100% be praying for you. Next, I think it's important to be kind to yourself and give yourself the time and space and feelings you need as you make your way through this journey. When it comes to healing from trauma and pain, we all have our own experiences to walk through. And what can be so hard is, you know, we are hard on ourselves. And when we see other people moving through similar processes faster or in a more healthy way, at least the way that we see it, 
uh, you know, it hurts. And I, I just want to remind you that it's okay. Whatever it takes, however long it takes, it's okay. And it's important to acknowledge that the triggers from this trauma can make it nearly impossible to reconnect to the church in a safe way or even connect with God through prayer and other actions of the faith because of your experience. And that's okay too. God is patient. God is willing to wait for you as long as it takes. And God understands where you're coming from. So, you know, be at peace with that. I'm going to read from an article in the Catholic Sentinel to help us out here. Though individuals abused by clergy regularly flee the church for good, others eventually make a painful and circuitous journey back, finding the homecoming a transformative piece of their healing and a source of sustenance, peace, and strength. But the return has countless hurdles, some of them inadvertently placed by the church itself. Survivors often find priests insufficiently trained to minister to them, and there are a limited, if increasing, number of programs that integrate faith with healing. Many survivors say they don't feel welcome in their parishes. For Deborah Rodriguez, who was abused by a priest as a child and left the church for a time, the choice to be Catholic is a daily decision, sometimes an hourly one, she said. The Mass is the source of healing, but it comes with reminders of previous evil. Yet Christ and his church are bigger than the abuse and the evil that occurred to me, said Rodriguez. The men and women who come back to the faith, who re-enter the sacred space that for years was contaminated by memories of pain and perversion, say they experience a newfound joy and understanding of God. But back to me, it takes time. It takes reaching out for and finding the help we need. It takes a supportive community. It takes being willing to make small steps until we feel safe. And it takes a change in our church to welcome people back, recognize the pain the church has caused them, and do everything it can to help them reclaim the comfort and peace that was stolen away. Trauma therapy can be a great place to do some of that work, and it's worth noting that trauma therapy comes in many different forms, from EMDR to cognitive processing therapy to medication, and it's important to seek out what sounds like it might make the most sense to you whenever you're ready to go for it. And please, please know that we'll be praying for you. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations. If you'd like me to address them in a future episode, I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. You can also head over to the Ave Maria website to pre-order the St. Dymphna's Playbook book that's due out in November. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.